Hello. My name is Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information about this and other projects, please visit www.thoughtjarproductions.com. That's www.thoughtjarproductions.com. We can also be found at Thoughtjar Productions on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to this program on iTunes and on Spotify, and please tell your friends about this show. And now, for this week's episode... Hello everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. My name is Stephen, I am your host, thank you very much for listening. So, this week, uh, we thought that we would mark the release of Guy Ritchie's King Arthur film by going back and looking at what is the best cinematic depiction of the Arthurian legend. It is, of course, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Joining me to review this comedic classic are two people, someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our person who has seen the film and is sitting to my left is Ellen Sears. Ellen, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Stephen. It's good to be back. And uh, just a reminder for the people at home, you're a PhD candidate? Yes, I'm in the last six months of writing my PhD, so essentially I'm just spending a lot of time staring at my computer screen and screaming. Mm. Well... <laughs> At least tonight you get the night off. Thank God. <laughs> and uh, joining us as our person who hasn't seen uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail and making her first appearance on the podcast, it's Samantha Knox. Hello, Sam. Hi, Stephen. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Good. How are uh, you? I, uh, you know what? None of my guests have asked me that. So <laughs> I'm going to take this opportunity yes. to go, I'm feeling very good. So, Excellent. Um, just tell the folks at home a little bit about yourself and what you do. Uh, so I'm currently studying at um, WAPA, West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, um, doing props and scenery. So that's sort of what I've been doing since February. Um, before that, I uh, like to do lots of set design and construction, worked a lot in a few theatres, mainly Murdoch. And yeah, I like um, eating chocolate and watching tv <laughs> good well uh, we'll be watching a television in a moment to uh, help us review monty python and the holy grail sam what do you know about monty python and the holy grail um i love monty python i will admit that i have not seen many of them but it's something that my mum has always quoted throughout my entire life and same with my dad as well and they always sing the songs together and that sort of way. Um, That's really cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I've just realised that I have seen the first maybe probably 20 seconds of the film. Mm. I won't say what it is in fear of spoilers, but it it freaked me out because I may have seen it when I was too young and wasn't able to see the humour in it. Mm. So I kind of ran away screaming to that one. Well, we've brought you back. <laughs> and uh, yes, it'll be very interesting to see uh, what your take is on this film. Because uh, Ellen, you it's fair to say you really like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I'm pretty sure the VHS copy of Holy Grail that we have is sort of in pieces because we watched it so many times. This was, this was the first Monty Python film I ever watched. And I think my brother and I must have watched it at like a million times when we were kids. Mm. So yeah, I... I don't know if I could quote the whole thing front to back anymore, but I used to be able to do the whole thing, including the subtitles at the beginning. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, j just a, a quick thought. In terms of the Python films, because yeah. there, there tends to be 
two, which people say are the best two. Yeah. Is this your favourite? This it... is my favourite. Okay. This is undoubtedly my favourite. If you're looking at the three kind of main Python films, you've got um, Holy Grail, you've got Meaning of Life, and you've got um, Life of Brian. And I saw them, I saw Holy Grail first, and then I saw brian and then i saw the meaning of life and meaning of life is probably the, my my bottom of those three the meaning of life is pretty much everyone's bottom of the three yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. that's partly because of the type of film that it is and also you know it was sort of towards the the tail end of their the working relationship of the pythons but uh, yeah i think holy grail is probably my favorite of them of, of so the pythons good. as well it's very very good <laughs> it's uh, we, so good the dvd copy that we've got here is actually the 40th anniversary uh dvd i'm so keen for special features but not probably not tonight because we're gonna run out of time but that's yes. okay and uh yes just a quick read of the blurb uh uh, some of the praise for this film gloriously hysterical and splendiferously unhinged and as fresh and funny as ever that is the san francisco examiner uh, a great film a brilliant send-up of medieval movies and lore from glenn whip from the la daily news so thanks uh-huh. glenn thanks glenn yes and uh, just a quick rundown it says once in a lifetime there comes a motion picture that changes the whole history of motion pictures a picture so stunning in its effect so vast in its impact that it profoundly affects the lives of those who have seen it monty python and the holy grail might be that picture so <laughs> it's um yeah so we're not going to say anything else because we want to jump straight into it so uh, at home if you have your dvds or vhs's that are full or, uh, or your streaming services or your uh, coconuts or indeed yes yes ready your coconuts. i have my coconuts with me yes i'm sure we'll have a look at those coconuts later on. <laughs> oh god that's terrible and uh, it will make sense in about an hour and a half's time okay so. great <laughs> okay but for now at home if you're ready then Uh, Join us as we watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Alright everybody, welcome back. We have just finished watching uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Miss Ellen Sears. Hello again. And Miss Samantha Knox. Hello. And I'm Stephen Platt. And uh, Sam, what did you think? Your first experience of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, it's been an adventure. It's been an absolute adventure. I'm still, we've just come out from seeing the movie and I, I just keep laughing and I feel robbed i feel (laughs) like i've been emotionally stunted at the end by this movie it's like when you hold in a sneeze Mm. oh because of the sudden ending they've held in my sneeze yeah yeah yeah. the the very abrupt ending my 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 brother and i the first time we watched this i was saying before we got so angry because we were just like what and then we and then like the vhs started rewinding and we were like what that can't be it. What's going on? And went and found our parents. We're like, what was that? They're like, yeah, that's the end. We were like, what? <laughs> we yeah. were so angry. The the film ends there. Uh, partly, uh, I think, like the urban legend is because they ran out of money. Um, uh, but <laughs> it, I think it was deliberately also written that way to an extent because it's a very Python thing to do. But I think part of the reason that you feel so robbed, and I still, like having watched it a few times, still feel robbed, is because... It's a really great film. Like, it's so good. Mm. <laughs> I was explaining to Ellen um, when we had a little break. I feel like I've been living like a half-life mm. before I've seen this movie because I watched it, I watched the first 20 seconds or so with my mum when I was probably too young to appreciate it. And now, probably 10 years later, watching it again, it's so funny. Mm. It is so hilarious and 
the how self-aware it is. Yeah. I really enjoy. Ah, oh, just hit the nail on the head with my humor, honestly. Mm. I loved it. Yeah. So, um it, it obviously first time watching it, very very difficult, but what stands out to you as being the funniest moment? <laughs> I loved when the knights were all having their song and dance number and yeah. it, it it changed to this slave that had been strung up. Mm, yeah. And yeah. he was clapping along too. Yeah. That was just so funny. And I think all the continuous jokes is that they just hold on to it. They don't they don't let anything go. They don't let anything sort of fall by the wayside. So the whole time everyone's clapping with the coconuts going through everywhere and everybody's doing it. And even when the giant mob at the end turns up, they're running in the same way. And just that adherence to the same gag the whole way through, mm. I think is fantastic. And those really long jokes that are like, I mean, the coconut thing, which gets introduced right at the beginning. And then is this, there's this payoff at the end when it's, oh, I don't know that. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of African it, or European swallow. And you're like, no, <laughs> no, it wasn't just a stupid joke. It actually has a payoff. Yeah. And that's why I love this film so much. And it's that trick of you can do things once, three times or a million times. And mm. they played with that through the whole film. Mm. Can I get my coconuts out? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> yes. uh, wait, wait, wait. Yes, they're in the are bag in behind the back, you. Right? Yes. Uh, so Ellen has kindly brought along her props. I've got my instructions. I'm going to give you the instructions. Now, can you so. explain what these coconuts are? Okay, so uh, when Monty <laughs> Python's Spamalot, which is the musical adaption, was done in Australia, I flew over to Melbourne to watch it because this is basically my favourite film. And so... At the ye olde Rupiofi shop, which is where they sold all their merchandise, which included killer bunny puppets. Oh, with that was fangs. terrifying. Okay, I, I got the killer bunny like hand puppet for my brother <laughs> as a present. Um, and they had like little trebuchets with farm animals and they had the coconuts. And hang on, I have to hand this to you because... Okay, cool. So what she's handing to those who aren't in the room, which is everyone else, uh, yeah, sorry. is a small piece of card which has... Uh, the directions for yeah. how to use the coconuts. Note, do not use the coconuts back to front. Yes. So, and uh, Ellen, if you could give us a demonstration. They really work. And if you do them back to front, it doesn't work very well. So, uh, incorrect. See, it just sounds crap. Mm. Incorrect coconut use. Absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, so, I, I have another piece of merchandise. Can I get that out now? Because I think, that's I think, my favorite scene. I think perhaps we should save that when we get to that scene because oh, okay. there is a lot to discuss for okay. this film. And I think okay. the coconuts are a really good starting point. Um, well, actually, I yeah, think. Yeah, they're the best. Yeah, the ultimate starting point, I think, would be the subtitles at the beginning with all the moose and llama <laughs> chat. Um, but the, the coconuts. Toothbrush given to me by a Norwegian yeah. orthodontist. Yeah, the, the, the coconuts at the start. Um, I haven't watched this film in quite a few years. Um, I've, I've seen Life of Brian quite recently, but th this one is one that I've just not seen for about five years. Um, I forgot, one, how funny it is watching That's Graham so Chapman funny. pretend to ride a horse while um, <laughs> Terry Gilliam's behind him doing the coconut noise. But then also the fact that you get two-thirds of the way through the film and you, you just sort of accept it. And then when they have the dismount uh, joke, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, that's right. They're not actually riding They're not anything. actually on horses. Yeah. Um, and wasn't it just because they didn't have enough money to, like, hire horses? Yes. That's and so and so they went, well, what are we going to do about this? Oh, well, we'll just make it a gag and mm. we'll, I don't know, use something to make horse noises. Oh, coconuts work. Like, and it's become they something, figure that out? It's become something that is like, it's iconic. Like yeah. I've had people do that with 
cups or with (laughs) if they found coconuts like in social settings all the time it's just something that has become sort of a a household thing to do yeah that's hilarious because everybody gets that joke yeah Yeah, i think it certainly popularized that as the the foley technique um Mm -hmm. but yeah and the fact that they work work that into the opening scene it sort of sets the tone for the film where you have the uh, the two guardsmen discussing uh swallows and the average flying speed yeah, and, i remember very distinctly yeah. the first time watching this and it opens with the what's the year 937 ad and it's all dramatic and the dramatic music and you've got this dead body hanging off the wheel that's getting picked <laughs> apart by crows and then you hear the horse sound horse sound horse sound and then they come over and they're not riding horses i remember very mm. distinctly watching that for the first time and just going oh this is going to be great but oh, it's I, so funny. yeah but i think that establishment because that, that establishing shot um where you've got a good 10 15 seconds of just uh, a hill, the body, and the the sound effect um, so happening, and then when the, that expectation is taken away, when you see it's Graham Chapman just bouncing along, pretending <laughs> to be on a horse, I think is possibly a shot that sums up the film the best because it plays yeah. with expectation wonderfully. Absolutely, um, a lot of a lot of the the jokes that they get are from very unexpected things happening and um, the historian getting murdered <laughs> <That's so good. laughs> by the guy on horseback uh, which so is the good. only horse that you actually see in the film yeah <laughs> for that one shot where the guy rides past and kills the historian they could them afford, a lot of money yeah. they could afford one horse yeah and uh, but then five seconds. yeah you also have the bit with um uh lancelot running at the castle and it's the same shot where he's really far away uh running at the castle looped five times and then all of a sudden he's there and he stabs the guard i think that's like the the shot where they get thrown into the um the pit yeah it's the same shot same shot again when all the bodies are getting thrown in it's like i didn't actually notice that funnily enough yeah Yeah, and again even in that scene where it's kind of like um you're not expecting the bridge keeper to not know something and therefore have to be thrown in. It's that playing with expectation, which is where they really draw a lot of the humor mm. from, which I think is ju- it's just excellent. It really, really holds up. I mean, this film was 43 years old at this point. Oh, wow. my God. Yeah. Or, wow. Yeah, about that, 42, 43. Yeah, so it's... it's um, None of us were alive when this film came out. No, no. And it's, oh, God. It's, it's a really... Um, it's, a, it's a testament to just how good the jokes are mm. and that they stand up, um, particularly looking at other Monty Python work. Um, Life of Brian, I think, still stands up. And the sketch show, bits of that still stand up. Mm. But if you go back and watch uh, some of the episodes... Um, you'll get a really great sketch in there, like the Ministry of Silly Walks, but then there might be another sketch which follows it, which is like, okay, that doesn't quite work. Mm. But obviously Mm. that's sort of earlier in the process. But it's really amazing. There isn't a joke in this which doesn't seem to have aged. I I can't think of anything that happened where I was like, okay, that's not funny. Yeah. Well, interesting as well, because, I mean, I was watching, the first time I watched this was in the late 90s, which was... Um, and, and like I had no idea about what a lot of the stuff meant when I watched it the first time and then on subsequent rewatches I was like oh yeah and like the castle anthrax is a joke that I just, just went straight over the top of my head and then obviously like late 90s early 2000s and then it was all, all the stuff happening over in America and stuff and then all of a sudden it was oh I get it castle anthrax ah <laughs> I get it yeah because it's just, it's just not the right name and I loved how yeah. all the nuns in that same had silly names like it was zoot and winston and yeah, yeah it was Dr. Winston. It, it was really uh great and then of course it's basically just one great joke after another i oh, think absolutely uh, i mean during the uh every week i do an imdb trivia trawl to uh just to say apparently one of the 
um, bits of trivia on the website is that there is a joke every 10.7 seconds That's in this amazing. film. And you you really feel it coming out of the film because um, I wrote down the scenes and was making notes on each scene and like the next thing I've got written down is the Black Knight scene. Now, <laughs> as, as you're first time of viewing the black knight scene sam uh that's wh- when you really started laughing oh, yeah because i'll tell you people have described this scene to me before yeah and they have acted it out in conversation and anybody who knows me knows i'm not very good with gore yeah. i find it very hard to watch so i was a bit apprehensive about when this scene came along but watching <laughs> it and now doing the course that i'm doing in the sense that we're making props and we're making we're synthesizing flesh and all this kind of stuff mm. looking at that it's so funny to watch because how, I suppose, uh, inauthentic you see the flesh and you you understand that there's a man strapped his arms together and he's moving with his legs and it's it's, it's so John silly. Cleese. That's yeah. the best yeah. thing. Yeah, it's it, John Cleese. Yeah, it's interesting. Although when he's got one leg, that yeah. is someone they knew that had one leg. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, someone who worked on the film who had one leg. Oh, that's They fantastic. put him in the costume for that bit. So when it's hopping, that's not John Cleese, that's someone else. Oh, that's um, beautiful. But yeah, the... Um... That's my favourite scene. <laughs> yeah. The, the Black Knight has yeah. always been my favourite scene. And again, I remember watching that for the first time and just being like, oh my God, because it was just so good. Yeah, it's it's eminently uh, quotable. Um, it, 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 it... I can quote the whole scene. I'm yeah. not going to do it now. No. I think you can quote the whole movie. <laughs> I was trying so hard not to. You did very well. Thank yeah. you. I was you trying really well. hard. I was really holding myself back. I'm like, no, I can't like destroy the whole... I would have done the whole thing otherwise, including the th- all the wick, wick, also wick, also, also wick, all those <laughs> ones at the beginning. I used to know all of them word for word. But yeah, the, 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 I mean, the Black Knight is arguably like one of the things from this film that really so stands good. out. And like, even in terms of the uh, merchandising, because... Can I, can I get it? Can yes. I well, it? I also have some Black Knight based merchandise. So if, do you want, <laughs> wait, wait. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Okay. Hang on, so hang on. Ellen is reaching behind her and she is fetching We'll have to take a photograph <laughs> we'll so that we can put it on the thing. Yeah. It'll be up on the Facebook you page. You bought this for me, didn't you? I did. When we first... It's um, a little Black Knight plushie. It's adorable. And he's got detachable limbs. <laughs> so you can rip them all up and then stick him back on again with oh, Velcro. Wow. Isn't he so cute? <laughs> and that's just it. Like people look at that and they know instantly what it is. My own piece, uh, for example, and uh, to describe for the people at home, I'm about to remove a plain green jumper. Oh, <gasps> you've been wearing it the whole time. Yes, it's a t-shirt <laughs> of uh, the the Black Knight, but in the pose of the Dark Knight poster from the Batman films, which uh, just says at the bottom, "Tis but a scratch." That's amazing. And you've been wearing that this whole time. You are full of surprises. I'm just looking at <laughs> the... I, I, I actually just forgot I was wearing it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you made sure you had it, though. Uh, yes, like... I did. And yeah, and, and the thing is, is like, but that design of the Black Knight, it stands out. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it, here in Australia, we obviously view it as being slightly Ned Kelly-esque mm. with the, the way the mm. helmet's shaped. But if you show people in the UK or people in the United States um, just a picture of or a drawing of that night uh, before all the limbs get chopped off, it, it stands out. Mm. Like, everyone knows who that character is. And it's really interesting how they played with uh, the the law. Um, you know, and we, we did say jokingly at the beginning of this, it's it's the best adaption of a King Arthur film. Oh, is it not? Film. But, well, <laughs> I th- it, it could be. It's, it's not... Okay, it's not a serious... Uh, Adaption. Here, do you want, here, Sam, do you want to look at the mic? Yes, yes so sorry, we're just passing the, passing the plushie around. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, but, but it does, 
it really plays on the tropes excellently. It really mm. plays on them really well. Um, I, I like I like how it takes them and then kind of morphs them into something else and mm. and, and and takes the Mickey out of them. Well, the, the it's beautiful. The witches sing. Oh God! Which yes. follows where uh, <laughs> Connie Booth, uh, John Cleese's wife at the time, who was also uh, Polly in Faulty Towers. Um, <gasps> I thought I recognised. Yes, her. that's that's who it is. Yeah, this this was filmed uh, I think a year before they did the first series of Faulty Towers. So Sam's just ripped both arms off the Black Knight at the same time. Like he's getting, uh, what's that thing where they tie each of your limbs to a hung horse? Hung, drawn, and quartered. Hung, drawn, and quartered. Yeah. That's what she just did it's to my really flesh. satisfying. Is mm. that bad? What no, does it's, that say about me? No, it is you, fun. you may like gore more than you realize. <laughs> yeah, apparently. But, but that witch's scene, playing around with the idea of, um, you, you know, the, the idea of witchcraft being a magic in particular being a scary thing to the people of the time. And them just wanting... Churches, churches, lead, lead. Yeah, exactly. And them just wanting to to persecute this woman as being a witch. I, I think it was really interesting, that, that sort of commentary on the society and the fact that Sir Bedivere, his science has a logic to it, even though it's it's illog- it's illogical. <laughs> it's but crap it, logic. Yeah, but... But, it, but it makes sense. You know, the whole mm. witches um, float and wood floats uh, and... But what also floats a duck. So if she weighs the same as a duck, then she must be a witch. It's, it's just like... <laughs> but it, all ducks are then witches. <gasps> yeah, Wait. exactly. There's lots of things that you can play around with, but obviously for, for the sake of comedy. Um, well, it's it's th- really well put together. The whole thing about ducking witches, though, excuse me while I just go all historical, though, was mm. that they used to go, okay, so if you're a witch, you'll be able to float or swim and you won't drown. But if you're innocent, you'll, 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 you'll sink. And you'll drown. So either way, you were screwed. Because if you could yeah. keep yourself afloat, oh, well, you're a witch. But, but if you drowned, it, this was the view of the society at the time. At least if you drowned, go to God. you went to heaven. Yeah, because so because you've been you've been killed innocently, essentially. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I found that interesting because you're watching you're watching the movie in that spot, and he's explaining this logic to this group of uh, people, let's mm. say. Yeah. <laughs> and you're sitting there being like, he makes total sense. Mm. He, that is exactly right. Like mm. you believe it as much as like they want you to believe it. Mm. But then it surprises you as you were saying at the end where she actually sits on the scales and they put a duck in the other side and she weighs exactly the same. So it's that that surprise because you're going, yes, this guy's logical and he's mm. going to save this woman. And then, But the thing is, is that she doesn't actually weigh the same. The scales are like tipping from side <laughs> to side still and they're like, oh, oh but, witch. Like but, they don't even wait for them to settle. True, but I think that may be more down to uh, the amount of uh, money that they had to build a giant set of scales. And they were like, oh, this is probably going to break if we let you sit on this for too long. Yeah. So mm. maybe we should like get you off it. It looked reasonably even. I think certainly for the uh, scientific practices of uh, medieval England, or, yeah. or sorry, Mercia, because this is pre-William the Conqueror. Mercia, that's yeah. right. Yeah, uh, then, um, yeah. I think I think it was fine. It's funny that you <laughs> you mentioned like the budget and and the budget cuts and how they've worked so uh, cleverly to their budget. But I was looking watching the scene and there are some things that would cost hmm. so much money. Like think of the, all the explosions that were going the off, the swords in that, and the sword and all those kind of things. The giant rabbit for for a low budget film, they've hmm. achieved so much with the locations. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was the well the the budget itself? I've just got here uh, is uh, an estimated. Uh, two hundred and twenty nine thousand pounds that's not a big budget no, and, it's not. and considering that uh, the film grossed in its original run uh, 1.2 million dollars uh, I, I don't i don't know why the budget is in pounds but the gross is in dollars <laughs> because but everything it, important comes from america yes but um it certainly it it made a pretty decent return Absolutely. and obviously over the years subsequently has made uh continual revenue and particularly with the uh, spin-off musical Spamalot as oh, well Spamalot is which so has good. been extremely successful um it's and, so funny yeah I, and also um 
yeah, going back and watching it and trying to watch it objectively without going, I really like this film. <laughs> um, it is interesting seeing how they they play around with um, the politics and the fact that you have yeah. like uh, peasants in fields who are talking about the nature of um, autocracy. Of autocracy. We're an anarchist. Yeah, and then and yeah, and creating like a, a, almost a, a, a socialist society. Oh. Um, but then also some really great things like, um, oh, that must be the king. How can you tell? He oh. hasn't got. Yeah, he hasn't got the S word all over him, um, and that <laughs> and that I think that's one of those lines that was improvised as well. Mm. There's a few lines that were improvised in this apparently, film. Apparently, and I don't know if this is true or not. Apparently, John Cleese forgot his line. He did for for, the, for Tim the Enchanter. So when he goes, <laughs> there are some who call me. That's him desperately trying to remember what his sorcerer name was, and then just going. Tim? And, and they just and they just oh. ran with it, and it yeah, was so and so good. he became Tim the Enchanter, and so it then because <laughs> it was funny because you know to go oh Tim please tell us these things yeah such a instead uh, of oh sorcerer speaking of man. the funding uh, funds earned from Pink Floyd's album The Dark Side of the Moon went towards making this film oh. because the uh, obviously Pink Floyd were big uh, Monty Python fans. <laughs> Other bands, really? yeah, I found this out when looking it through. What? Two That's other, incredible. two other bands contributed uh, funds to make this film as well. Uh-huh. Led Zeppelin, yes, <laughs> and Genesis. Oh, wow. that is the coolest. Yeah, because they really liked what the Pythons did, and mm. they and this was like they they had done it now for something completely different, but that was essentially some of the sketches just reshot yep. for an American audience. Um, the yeah, so this was their first proper film, and yeah, uh, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, and Genesis all put money towards it. Speaking of the music, this mm. is something that I noticed, and the, I'm the only one who noticed, which makes me feel kind of like, oh god, you need to just settle down, Ellen. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few points because we okay, I I have a VHS of this somewhere at home that's a bazillion years old, but we got a new DVD version of it to watch because nobody has VHS players anymore, um, and we got the 40th edition, which has obviously been like redone a little bit. They've obviously like Sort cleaned of it up cleaned up the audio and and some of the stuff but there was a few bits where they changed bits of the music and i was the only one who noticed and i was going why where are the harps when they go into the 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 castle anthrax <laughs> the, there was more harps in the music this is the wrong music and then there was another couple of points where i'm like this is another point where they've changed the music and i'm going is it bad that i know that <laughs> oh well, wow well it is interesting because we were watching the 40th anniversary edition and we did have a big discussion about remastering films last week with uh, Star Wars Episode Oh, did 4. you? Yes. Oh, yeah. Because, well, Changing cause, things. Yeah, because we watched the, uh, the the remaster of that one. Um, so did, did it detract from the film for you, the, the fact that they had made these changes, possibly just for the fact that they had access to better sound quality later yeah. on? Well, the other one was, I'm pretty sure that there was, uh, there was a bit where there was a voiceover. Michael Palin's voiceover. Yeah, Michael Palin's voiceover. And the inflection... And the pauses were slightly... I know, I know. I'm such a huge nerd for this mm. film. This is why I demanded to be on this episode. Um, th- yeah, I, I feel like it was a different take or they've like merged a couple of takes together or something because it sounded slightly different. Mm. I'm going to have to find the VHS now and go back and like I mean, compare it, them it, or something. It could just be that the quality of your VHS recording means that it maybe sounds slightly different. But at the same time... Yeah, it's possible. They definitely could have gone in and re-recorded it at a later date with them. Um, or taken other takes yeah. if they still had them. I don't know, but I was like, this sounds different. Mm. <laughs> I was like super paranoid going, they're changing the audio. I was mm. freaking out. So you really enjoyed the Camelot scene. Oh, I loved it. I loved... The singing, the dancing, oh, the, it, the clapping. I think, I, th- I think it's the silliness of it all. Mm. It's so they, silly. They juxtapose like silliness with, as you said, the social commentary with historical kind of um, themes throughout it all. And it's just so much fun. 
You don't feel like you need to be an intellectual or any person in particular to watch and enjoy this film. For mm. me, anyway, um, I, I suppose some people could sort of look down their nose at this film, but I really, really enjoyed just the silliness and just making jokes out of just the what's irreverence. In front of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So uh, obviously, there is some uh, taunting Frenchman in this film as well. <laughs> I, I'm sensing you were a fan, Sam. By the, the I people. just love John Cleese. Mm. I love his facial expressions. I love that he does everything at 120%. Mm. Everything he does, it's with his face and his eyes and his non-verbal as much as it is with his like verbal communication, I suppose. Like just the way he sounds and looks is so enticing and entertaining. He's that... so lanky and tall. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he's when he wears his chainmail, his head looks oddly round <laughs> yeah. and almost alien-like and I think it's it's so good. It's so fantastic to watch all these like comedians just do what they do best. Mm. And it, it absolutely works. It really does. And uh, John Cleese in particular is interesting to, to look at because obviously of all the Pythons, he's arguably the one that is the most recognisable uh, mm. because of his later career. Mm. Um, you, you know, he's, he's, he's been in Shrek, you know, doing voiceovers. <laughs> um, admittedly, so has Eric Idle before somebody points that out. Um, but yeah, he's, he's gone on and done really well. Um, I mean, they all have, uh, you know, even Graham Chapman, who unfortunately died uh, in 1989. Um, it's a tragedy. My but God. he was, yeah, but he, he still like had a, pretty successful career um throughout his life mm. and the rest are thankfully still around and terry gilliam and terry jones both became these great directors michael palin is uh, the bbc's backup david attenborough you know it's um, <laughs> and and yeah and eric idol obviously helped compile spam a lot and has done lots of wonderful yeah. things but they have all done these these really great careers which is good to see um but with with john cleese uh, in that thing about him being full in he he performed all of his stunts in the um, in the Black Knight scene. <laughs> the Green Knight was played by Terry Gilliam, and they both did all their stunts. They both had to learn to manage big and heavy swords, and wow. um, in order to do some of the acrobatics, they are kind of chucking him around. Though yeah. it's beautiful. I was like, this is what a real medieval fight would be. Just mm. I'm just gonna like try and throw this sword at you as hard as possible because <laughs> yeah. it's and, so heavy. And the reason that uh, John Cleese and Terry Gilliam did it is because they they just had so much fun. They said, please let us do the fight. Don't don't bring in stuntmen. We're enjoying this too much. Yeah. And like when he's Tim the Enchanter and he's standing on that very pointy mountaintop and he's blasting all around him with the explosions, um, that was like really precarious because it was very windy. Obviously, he's on a peak and it was like a twenty foot drop all around him. And so you know he quite often had to like crouch down until he could hear them shout action, stand up for about five seconds, and then crouch down again because he kept thinking he was going to get blown off this hill and die. But he was so intent on doing it, you know, he he just wanted to do it. Um, he's a madman. But with that intensity, there was also um, he could be quite difficult to work with. And obviously, mm. these are very funny well-educated people working together on a big film project that they weren't sure was going to work they didn't know they were creating a cult classic they just were trying to make this film with a lot of production difficulties with not a great budget um the fact that you know a lot of them are wearing with the exception of um graham chapman, graham chapman uh, they're all wearing knitted chainmail. Yeah. So um, the costumes so were one itchy, and then two when they got wet, muddy, which because they're in England and Scotland happened all the time. Um, it wasn't exactly very comfortable, and John Cleese was famously irritable on set. Um, <laughs> at one point, he was Basil Fawlty on set. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, yeah. Well, according to Terry Jones, in the scene with Lancelot and Concord, where Concord gets hit by the arrow and goes, "Message for you, sir." Um, it required twenty takes. 
and they used the second take. The second take was perfect, but the cameraman noticed there was a lot of smoke in the background, and John Cleese, annoyed, went, well, was the smoke funny enough? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Aww. So, yeah, you can, you, can, you can certainly imagine him being quite grouchy, and all of them being quite grouchy and having their fallouts. Um, but ultimately, it's a very strong film. Absolutely, and you're saying the difficulties that they must have experienced just with the terrain alone. That's something that sort of stood out to me as well, that there's all these silly jokes and all the clapping of the coconuts and that going on. But at the same time, they're trudging through mud and they're climbing up hills and John Cleese is atop of those peaks and it is real. I suppose today we see a lot of CGI, we see a lot of Mm. synthesised graphics in order to create terrains. Mm. Um but to see actual mud and actual rocks and being in an actual and, cave. And real people struggling yeah, up the hill. I think, I think yeah. that's really rewarding and, and mm. nice to see. It's mm. very affecting. Um, and, yeah, there are bits which don't necessarily hold up, like uh, some of the staffs are a bit wobbly, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it sort of feeds into that, that play and that make-believe of what they were creating, um, which sort of fits into a, I suppose, almost a more theatrical pantomime tradition. Yeah. It was very pantomime. Mm. And especially, I mean, John, John Cleese is, does pantomime beautifully, but especially in the French taunting scene, some of his faces and some of the things that he was doing was just beautiful. <laughs> when they were building the rabbit and he was listening to all the sounds, mm. I was just watching all of his beautiful miming and going, yes, this is amazing. Mm. It really was. And um, obviously, going through the uh, the checklist of incredible uh, well-known scenes, uh, the knights who say knee. <laughs> <laughs> that has definitely been definitely been a cult mm. saying for sure. Mm. I go uh, on holidays with a certain group of family friends, and pretty much every time that we are together, someone will say the knights who say me, mm. and I've always heard it. But again, I've never seen the film, and I could never put a character to a noise. And mm. it's hilarious the way they handle it. Mm. They handle these big, strong kind of scary looking uh beings giant viking looking weird things yeah Mm. and they they arm them with these things that are a word it's a funny word that silliness again comes Mm. through yeah and then when we see um king arthur and subvedivir hassling the old woman in the street they're just going (laughs) and you totally believe Mm. that she is in pain because of this noise yeah and same when they start saying I think it was it. It, yeah, it. It, it the, is the word that uh, undoes the knights who say knee. Yeah, I think that's. They're just so true to their jokes, mm. and you completely believe it, and you completely fall for it. Mm. Um, the use of animations. I love the use of animation. Now, of, of oh. course, the animation's very much coming across from uh, the original TV show. Uh, mm. Terry Gilliam's great uh, animated work mm. um, really holds up and helps build this this film, doesn't it? Alan? I really like the fact that it was kind of like there's all these like big things that we want to do like the big monster of Arg and all of that and it's like well let's just do the animated stuff and the animated stuff that came through from the show was always beautiful and and random and very funny and I like the fact that in this film more so than I mean Life of Brian you've got a bit of animation at the beginning and Meaning of Life I haven't watched for a long time and they've got a few they also have an animated title sequence yeah but do they have other animated sequences throughout not but I remember yeah. So this is probably the only one. The not I th- I think they took all the best ideas for what from what they did in the TV show in Flying Circus. They took it because you've got all these sort of and and made these sort of running gags and arcs that come all the way through the film, 
and then linked it together with the animation pieces. Yeah, I love the way that the, the film kind of links together because, I mean, really, it's just a bunch of sketches about King Arthur and his knights all put mm. together and the animation is kind of the linking thread of weird, random wonderfulness and kind of pulls yeah. you back to where you're supposed to be. So uh, before it gets too carried away, it's like, okay, and now we're going on to the next scene and yeah. now we have scene 24 and just... And mm. I think that because they have had the theme of the cu- the animations coming through the whole time, yeah. when they do need to fill a big plot point yeah the climax where the monster comes you completely believe it you're like of course they would put an am- animation here and it also uh, <laughs> they ate robin's minstrels and there yeah. was much rejoicing yay, yay. <laughs> but it also uh, allows them to then play that great joke of the animator dying of a heart attack that is one of my favorite bits <laughs> yes, which just oh. resolves that that whole particular problematic Bot point. And holding in the sneeze again mm. yeah and hold in that sneeze you're yeah. like oh no oh no oh no and then you're like the animator's dead. Yes, that's so brilliant. But yeah. why? Yeah. And some great acting from Telly, Terry Gilliam to just—that's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I may have I may have rewound that bit a lot of times. It's so and quick. Just, and just watch that like two second clip like fifty times in a row, a bunch of times as a kid. Just like this is the best bit. So um, we we have to get on to arguably the thing that rivals the the Black Knight scene, and that is the rabbit. <laughs> oh yeah okay i was gonna say nothing rivals the black knight but yeah okay the rabbit's pretty good so uh the killer rabbit of course um again that wonderful thing of setting you up expecting a big monster then oh your expectation is challenged by the fact it's just a little bunny and then your expectation just is re-challenged because it takes people's heads off and the only way they can kill it is with a hand grenade um first time viewing that whole sequence how does how does it read it's an absolute roller coaster <laughs> She's still cracking up. It, it, there are no words, but I think that one probably disturbed me more than the the night, mm. just because it is that that shock of oh, it's a cute little bunny. Oh my goodness, it's not a cute, cute little, little bunny, bunny anymore. And you you see the the rabbit sort of tearing at someone's neck, and flying across the these, way, yeah. leaping on people's necks. And- yeah, exactly. And it's it's a bit shocking. <laughs> It yeah, mm. it's a bit it's a bit sort of like psycho. It's a bit like hammer yeah. horror. This yeah. bit of chaos that kind of yeah. happens all at once when they all go, and you're like, uh, yeah, uh. they'll kill the rabbit together, and then you eventually see that the rabbit is by far dominating mm. the fight. Yeah, and it's interesting because in the IMDb trivia troll, some interesting rabbit facts. Um, (laughs) Yes. As part of their stained glass and interior decorations, several medieval cathedrals include illustrations of virtues and vices. The vice of cowardice is depicted as a knight running away from a rabbit. Amazing. Is that why they use this? Notre Dame in Paris is no fewer than three such medallions of killer rabbits. Oh, that's amazing. So, yes. No, I, oh. I don't know if they purposefully went, aha, this is what I we do. I bet they did because mm. these were boys who were all like... Well-educated. Well-educated yeah. who went to like fancy-ass universities and but, stuff. Yeah. Like, I feel like they were like, this is funny. Mm. That's like, have you ever seen um, the... There's a lot of medieval pictures of giant snails, and I think it's literally because the monks used to get really peed off at the snails eating their gardens, and so they drew these giant snails and them like attacking them with swords. There's tons and tons of these in books. They're really funny, and it's like, was there a giant like alien snail infestation in the medieval period? Or well, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's an episode of Doctor Who that covers that. Oh, but, yeah, I hope so. Another thing with the killer rabbits, um, a real white rabbit is obviously used in that scene for yes. some of the shots. Um, 
The rabbit was dyed with what was assumed to be a washable red colouring liquid <gasps> for the shots after the battle. So when you see it covered in red. Uh, when filming wrapped, the rabbit's owner was dismayed to learn the dye could not be rinsed <gasps> off. Terry Gilliam described in an audio commentary that the owner of the rabbit was present and shooting was abruptly halted while the cast desperately attempted to clean the rabbit before the owner found out. (laughs) He also stated um, he thought that had they been more experienced in filmmaking, the crew would have just purchased a rabbit instead. Uh, However, the rabbit was otherwise unharmed. It just remained a bit pink for the rest of its life. That's amazing. Yeah. That would be the best though. I'd be so thrilled to have a pink rabbit. I'd at be least like, it, my rabbit's pink. Yes. At least it best. wasn't the blood red. Like. Yeah. Like, but I just, that would have been really disconcerting for like people coming over like, oh, do you want to come play with my pet? But oh my God, it's covered in blood. Like. But I think we can all agree the mental image of all the pythons dressed as knights trying yeah. to clean an actual rabbit <laughs> and hiding that from someone who's on set. That's something that I was thinking about because as you say, these are all really well-educated uh people yeah but imagine the blooper reel imagine them all trying to hold in their laughter as one of their best friends delivers this line in a slightly different way after the 10th mm. take or something yeah and it's hilarious because we're laughing at home we're mm. we're hacking ourselves well you get some of that in the film in the witches scene um there's the bit where eric idol bears his teeth and bites down on the blade of his <laughs> side si- that's because he's yeah. trying not to laugh um he's about he's trying not to burst out laughing and spoil the take and like there's other bits where you, you see like michael palin like just looking off to the side because he's about to start laughing and things like that so i think we almost get some of that in the film already but yeah it's it as, as difficult as it may have been i do i do think it's possible this could have been one of the more fun film sets to be working on um, Apart from all the miserable stuff, I like the fact that you said though they did this with all the woolen uh, knitted chainmail and yeah. whatever else, and then they were like, "No, it's too wet, it's too miserable. Next time, we're shooting somewhere hot." Yeah, well, I'm, I'm and then they did Life of Brian. Yeah, I'm sure that <laughs> maybe <laughs> featured into their thinking of going, "Where's warm? Let's do a film about uh, about around the time of uh, the birth of Christ because it will at least be warm when we're filming." Mm. Uh, yeah, so. Um, and then, of course, uh, we, we have uh, the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch, the introduction <laughs> of Lambs the... Lambs and sloths. Yes, and then the introduction of the, um, the King Arthur not being able to count to three. That's, that's <laughs> such a beautiful little joke. One, two, five, three, sir, three. Yeah, and it's just, it, it's little things like that which are really great. And I think also shows, um, again, the, the acting chops of uh, Graham Chapman. Oh, yeah, he's so Because great. he is playing the ultimate straight man in this whole film. He, yeah. he doesn't have uh, silly moments. He occasionally gets to play, like, he's playing the hiccuping guard in The yeah, Swamp Castle. Yeah, I love the hiccuping guard. But uh, other than that, he's pretty much Arthur the whole film. And he's um, Arthur is very serious. Very serious. And very, Knights, we must go this. And he's he's taking on that very serious, almost like kind of like a Lawrence Shakespearean Olivier Shakespearean kind figure. of role. And, and everybody else is just being a bit silly. <laughs> yeah, just, it's but I think it's really important that it grounds yeah. the film. Like he he is the anchor point. He is the one that's trying to fulfill the serious legacy of this mission given to him by by God. And everyone else around him is a lunatic or unhinged or self-aware or breaking or the fourth wall. Or... Yeah. And I think that he makes you want to want the you... Holy Grail. Like, yeah, you, wa- thing... you want him to succeed. You're yeah, like, come he... on. He's the thing carrying the audience with him. There's all this chaos and craziness happening around him. But he... we're following him and we want to mm. see that that ending which we were robbed of (laughs) do you know what it reminds me of and i said this when we were watching it it kind of reminds me of the coen brothers some of the stuff that they've done like the Mm. end of uh burn after reading i remember watching that 
I'd seen it and I took it to watch with my brother and my sister-in-law and it finished and the zoom out started happening and they both just turned and looked at me and went, what the hell was that? <laughs> Is that the end? That can't be the end. And that was exactly my response to this, the end of this film, the first time I saw it. And it was yours as well. That was beautiful. And it's interesting because um, they did have an ending that they didn't film, but they considered. Oh, really? There's, yeah. Uh, there's two things, two scenes that were written, but never filmed. Uh-huh. One scene is would have been the end of the film and it would have been Arthur and his knights finding the Holy Grail at London's famous Harrods department store. <laughs> <laughs> so. that's, that's kind of like that scene at the end of Avengers where they're all sitting in that shawarma Yeah, yeah, eating thing. the food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind yeah. of a snap back to scene. reality. Mm. The other scene uh, is actually a follow-on from The Bridge Keeper. So you have the scene yeah. with The Bridge Keeper and answer me these questions three and then obviously you have Bedivere and um, King Arthur get through. Um, after The Bridge Keeper, they're supposed to come upon a boat keeper when that boat was there. Yeah. And the boatkeeper was to say, he who would cross the sea of fate must answer these questions 28. (laughs) (laughs) And they just stab him at Um, that point? Well, they never ended up filming it. So I think uh, they just decided maybe that's a joke we don't need in this film. Um, (laughs) We've already done that joke. Let's not not do that again. Yeah. yeah, If they did have that scene in there, like at that point, I'd be like, oh, just just stab him. Mm. Just stab him and take the boat. Come on. (laughs) Like, let's get to it. We're so close. We're so close to the end. Get on with it. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Get on with it. I think. Get on with it. Probably been a good point to bring that in uh, so um and then of course we have we have the highly unsatisfactory ending because i think it's also partly because they build it up to be like a big proper battle yeah. do you know what's the way they shot that i was looking at it and going man like this is how they shot some of the battle sequences in lord of the rings yeah like some of the practical stuff that they did with all of those guys um, on a slightly smaller scale, because also Lord of the Rings, they CG like an extra couple of thousand dudes in there as well. <laughs> but I was looking at some of the shots and like the close-ups of like the penance and like the close-up of like, oh, the, the dude who turns his head with and he's got the helmet on and it's all like super serious and there's the drums and you're mm. like, yeah, this is going to be so good and so satisfying. And then comes the police car and you're like, what? Yeah. It's funny because at the start of the film, I noticed that all well, the credits were rolling and I was like, oh, how progressive. Like they're showing all the people who have made this movie at the start of the film because you don't often see that. You often mm. see the, the producer, the actors, the mm. director. And then everyone written else by, is at the end. And then everybody else is at the end. Even the stuntmen, the, the cameramen, the um, boom operators, all the those kind of things. Yeah, the moose, the moose handler. handler. But see, that's something that's really recent because if you look at like, if you look at something like a lot of like early Disney films, like Snow White and stuff, all of their credits are at the beginning. A yeah. lot of like films from like the 30s and 40s, the credits are all at the beginning. Yeah. Because are... otherwise people would leave Although, and not care about the people yeah, who yeah, made the they'd film. Yeah, they'd leave before they get to see their names. Although yeah. there are some recent films. Uh, Ellen and I saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2 recently. Yeah. And in both the Guardians films, they have that sequence at the beginning, which is a musical sequence, which has all they the credits. They do that in Deadpool in. as well. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, Deadpool. And they actually work that into the jokes as well because yeah. um, like the, the director is called like some overpaid tool and things like that. So it's, it's all really mm. clever things. And I think... But they've still got the big long ones yeah. at the end because they've they, got they still do that a at bazillion the end. other But the fact do. that they have these extended credit sequences at the beginning and they're working them in to make them enjoyable because in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you just follow like little baby Groot dancing to the Electric Light Orchestra's <laughs> Mr. Blue Sky. Uh, coincidentally, if every film can start with an ELO song, I'll be very happy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's the way they use that. And in this film, obviously, they have the, the moose gags and then the, yeah. we fired the people who made the subtitles And jokes. then the llama jokes. Yeah. The llama yeah. jokes. Ralph the Wonder Llama is my favourite. Yeah. 
of and all those ones. You've got to go through and like look at all that, like <laughs> pause it, especially on the one that's got like the big list of things because they're very funny. Like 42, <laughs> specially trained, like Venezuelan llamas or whatever it is. Like just, <laughs> they're so good. And here I am thinking, oh, that's amazing. And little did I know that an hour and a half later, I'd be... <laughs> swiftly robbed of <laughs> a proper ending and then we'd sit in silence mm. for about a minute before I turned to you guys and Wait. gave a bit of a what? <laughs> 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 they kind of said it up from the beginning though because mm. it's like here are the credits oh no the people who yeah. were hired to do these credits have been sacked no yeah. these people have been sacked the people who have just been sacked with luggage you know the yeah. other people have and been from sacked. the very beginning they've set you up to challenge your expectations yeah, yeah. and so it makes sense that they finish the film challenging it once more absolutely and so ultimately did we enjoy this film samantha knox i loved it yay 10 out of 10 i would love to watch it again i'm so happy i'm so happy because when it was like sam hasn't seen it i'm like she hasn't seen it how is sam not seen this now that i've seen it i now think that i now am ashamed of myself for not having made the effort to really watch it again i kind Mm. of i think my brain had made that connection with it when i was too young and i Got a bit scared by the dead bodies on the card as they came out and mm. bring out your dead. And I thought, oh, that's a bit too gritty for me. And I said, <laughs> it's not gritty at all. It, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> and it's playful and it's silly. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. And obviously in a, another rewatch for you, Ellen. Oh, I love it. I <laughs> love this film so much. I'm so happy I got to review it on this podcast because <laughs> it's my favorite. This and Jurassic Park. When, when we do Jurassic Park, I'm on that one. Yes. <laughs> Watch out. Okay. So I do have one request. Oh, go ahead. Before we finish up. Yes. May I try the coconuts? Certainly. <laughs> yes. Hang on. What we'll do is we'll get you to uh, play us out with the coconuts. Because, Absolutely. Uh, before, Absolutely. Hang on. Be- go it. ahead. Before we conclude, oh, we, we need to get ratings. So yes. you're, you're saying 10 out of 10. I'm saying 10 out of 10 because I enjoyed the whole thing. And despite me being quite tired at the moment, and my life is quite <laughs> full on. That was thoroughly enjoyable. And I would watch it again. And I'm so glad that I've had the opportunity to sit down and actually watch it, especially with you guys who love the film so much, which made me love the film even more. Oh, I was watching you, you so a lot of the time, which sounds really <laughs> creepy, but I was sort of like watching the screen and then watching you, especially when bits that I really like or that are really funny were coming up. And I was like, hey, hey. and like when the Black Knight came out and then you started cacking it, I was like, yes, good, good. Enjoy this scene. So, Ellen. Um, are we doing out of five or out of 10? It's out of 10. Well, 10, obviously. Okay, just that simple. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is this is basically like one of my top favorite films. Okay. I love this film. Well, looking at it critically, um, and looking at it, there's a couple of bits that you could go, maybe they could have shot that better, but <laughs> I, uh, I'm also English, so <laughs> um, you're biased, and I'm sure there's a few English people out there that will be screaming at their um, podcasting devices and going, "No, it's rubbish" or whatever. But for me, it's so far up my strata it's where my house is i'm giving it 10 uh, abused cats out of 10 yes <laughs> wonderful what was the final count on abused cats i saw five five abused cats yeah in this just film? cats that were either being not really abused walls. cats i don't think i yeah, think no, they, they were fake ones no no animals just, were yeah. hopefully harmed it was all toy cats but yes yeah, say so we saw the cats being banged against the walls uh, stood on yeah stood <laughs> in on. the song and dance number thrown off castles <laughs> so yeah but that's an so, old again an old python trope of taking yeah. uh, a cat and just doing something unspeakable to it <laughs> and it's as you can hear <laughs> It's it funny. works. It works. <laughs> Ten cats, 42 Venezuelan llamas, <laughs> a flying cow, a 
Rabid rabbit. Yes. (laughs) Excellent. So, uh, Samantha Knox, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed watching Uh, the film and being on the podcast. Excellent. We'll have to get you on again soon. And Ellen, thank you for returning and coming back on. Thank you for letting me review this film. Also, (laughs) I would have killed you if you hadn't let me, but that's beside the point. You're most welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so just a little bit of uh, housekeeping. Uh, Obviously, you can listen to us uh, via SoundCloud or iTunes. If you subscribe to us there, you'll get an episode fresh every week. Wednesday, wherever you are in the world, providing you have an internet connection, of course. Uh, You can also uh, follow us on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club podcast and give us a like there and uh, tell your friends about it. Uh, Next week, we will be reviewing our first audience-picked film. Uh, Yes, uh, the, the people have spoken... And Fight Club is what they said. So we will be reviewing Fight Club and uh, having a look at that. So uh, keep an eye out on the page for future audience-suggested films. Uh, But until then, take us away, Sam. (laughs) Here I go.